once more with podcast. Hello! Hello! <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, everyone. This is Once More with Podcast, by the way. If you were wondering which podcast you've downloaded. I'm Athena. I'm Loki. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> You're my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Who are you, really? I'm Tarky. Hi. Um, and um, this is uh, a very special episode of the podcast. Why is it a special episode? Well, two reasons. First of all, it's Christmas. Woo! Jingle <laughs> so, bells. I know about so, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Um, greetings. Season's greetings to you all from us. Uh, we hope you're having uh, a wonderful holiday uh, and enjoying all of the food and the drink and the general merriment that goes with Christmas. And the other reason is it's actually our six-month birthday today. Oh, look at that. I know. We've, we've been going for six months. We're practically adults. <laughs> if we were babies, we'd probably be starting to eat solid food. Already? <laughs> um, we might even be sitting up unaided. So, well done us. I'm still not sitting up unaided, so I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. solid food. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a special episode, really. And, um, and we wanted to celebrate these, these two momentous things, the six-month birthday and the fact it's Christmas. And we also wanted to give it... Give it a, a Joss Whedon style flair, and we thought to ourselves, "Well, how can we do that?" Um, we can do that by giving Athena a Christmas present <laughs> and talking about the Avengers. This will be a podcast where I know nothing, and I will probably piss off every comic book reader there is because I will be saying things like, "Oh, that fast guy," or "the quick guy," or you know, "the guy who has a black <laughs> helmet on." <laughs> Yeah. And stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully I will not be completely embarrassing myself by getting facts wrong, which is something I've been a little bit worried about because although I am a big fan of um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and I have been pretty much sort of since its inception, I'm not a massive comic book fan in the sense that I haven't really read much of the sort of comics. Um, oh my god, get up, get out I of here know. right now. I, I tell you why, as far as the Avengers goes, I knew of the Avengers, I knew who they were, but I was always an X-Men fan, so I read X-Men comics, and you know, we'll, we'll get to X-Men a bit later, because there is a very valid reason why Joss is linked to the X-Men. Really? Yeah, but that's the later. Is it that uh, the quick guy kind of reminds me of the pyro guy from X-Men? <laughs> the witch guy? The quick guy. In number two, in Age of Ultron, there's a really quick guy who's like the brother of Scarlet Witch. Quicksilver. Oh! (laughs) Yeah, I never caught his name. Well... I don't feel like they ever said his name. Well, A, Taki, we're not talking about Age of Ultron. We're talking about the first Avengers film. I thought we were kind of talking about them both, because there are, like, similarities and stuff (laughs) like that. Well, we we can mention a little bit of Age of Ultron, because... Age of Ultron is a completely kind of separate entity to to the Avengers. It's in a different phase of the cinematic universe. Um, really? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm confused. Oh, dear me. We've only, been, we've only been recording for less than five minutes. I know, but I, I have a question, which is, because uh, 
in Age of Ultron, they kept saying stuff like, oh, well, this is what S.H.I.E.L.D. is supposed to be like, or something about Avengers was supposed to be better than S.H.I.E.L.D., something like that. Yeah. And then in the first one, there is S.H.I.E.L.D., but they don't seem to be on board. I mean, what is the timeline with the movies and the TV show S.H.I.E.L.D.? Right, okay. Well, this this is where it starts to get a little bit confusing, is we'll, we'll go through the, the sort of general timeline of what we've seen so far, because the timeline of when the movies are set differs to the timeline of when the movies were actually released, but also when we talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're actually talking about beyond the Avengers and into phase two of the movies. So we'll... Let me just quickly run down where we've come from so far to get to the Avengers and where we're going to be going to get to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is obviously set in the same universe, but it relies heavily on what the films are doing. There's a lot going on here, basically. So, the Marvel Cinematic Universe was initially created slash concepted way back, I think sort of mid-2000s-ish. They had an idea. Marvel wanted to create a cinematic universe And eventually that became the first movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which was Iron Man. That was in May 2008. And then in June 2008, The Incredible Hulk came out. So there was literally a month between these two movies. There was no link between these two movies at all, other than a brief cameo appearance that they filmed to put Iron Man in The Incredible Hulk post-credit sequence. Basically, the reason why Marvel brought out Iron Man is they wanted their own cinematic universe, But in the late 90s, I'm not sure of the exact times, Marvel had some real financial difficulties. So they actually ended up selling the film rights to a lot of their big characters. So Spider-Man got sold to Sony and the X-Men got sold to Fox. And so Marvel, when they wanted to make their own movies, they'd actually made a little bit of money from selling those entities to other people. And other people had made money off those Sony had very successful um, set of Spider-Man films starring Tobey Maguire in the early 2000s. And X-Men, they had a very successful early 2000s for Fox. And so Marvel made a little bit of money and they decided that they wanted to invest in their own properties. But at that point, they didn't really have anyone that was really very popular because the most popular people were X-Men and Spider-Man and they'd obviously been sold. And they basically took a gamble to release Iron Man. Is that um, because Iron Man is basically Batman? That's what I felt as a non-fan. I was just like, he's just like this rich guy with lots of gadgets and yeah, I suppose, kind of an ass. Yeah, I suppose um, you could, you know, you could think that there was a link there. I mean, obviously, Batman is DC Comics. And, and generally, what you find with Marvel and DC is there is a lot of, not copying, that's kind of the wrong word, but you, you do tend to find that there is always an equivalent in both of those companies because a lot of these superheroes go back to, you know, the 40s and 50s. For Marvel Comics, again, I'm, I don't know the exact dates, but Marvel Comics started sort of around, I think, the 50s, and that was when they introduced quite a lot of their big characters. And, you know, we're talking of people like Captain America, and I think he was introduced back then, him being, you know, a war hero. Um, mm-hmm. Iron Man... Originally, I don't think he was that early, but in the first Iron Man film, comics are set during the Gulf War. The the film is set in Iraq to make it more modern. 
well, I don't remember any. I like I told you, I seen at least one or an, one and a half of Iron Man, I think. And like I described it to you, how did I describe it? Like machines, buildings with lots of glass, yeah, quick penguin Paltrow. <laughs> That's like all I remember of the movie. Now I'm like, rah, what? I don't remember this at all. Well, I don't. I don't want to get too bogged down with you know with with the history of, of comic books and stuff like that because I'm not 100 percent on it. I don't want to be that person who gets it wrong. Um, oh, at least you know that Iron Man is Marvel and Batman is uh, <laughs> the other guys, whoever they were. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you've, you've basically got Marvel Cinematic Universe, and now DC have their own cinematic universe as well. And you've got like Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and the forthcoming Wonder Woman film. They're all the DC Cinematic Universe. From from Marvel's point of view, um, like I said, they didn't really have anyone that they felt was like a big character they took a punt on iron man and they also took a punt on robert downey jr who at that point was academy award nominated but he was also a recovering alcoholic mm-hmm. um and a drug addict and drug problems were well known in hollywood and was this before or after he made those sherlock holmes movies this was before this was okay um, so he was relatively you know like a little bit out of the game maybe uh well he had been for some time and then he had a big comeback in around sort of 2007, 2008. I believe his first sort of comeback film was a film called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which was excellent, like really, really good, directed by a guy called Shane Black, who also directed Iron Man 3 in Phase 2 of the MCU. But John Favreau, um, who was down to direct Iron Man, basically begged Marvel to say, this is your guy, this is the guy that you need for Iron Man. And they, they cast him, and Iron Man just became a huge success and even now it's seen as one of the best films in the whole of the mcu purely because it's you know the star film and it, it's just such a great movie in its own right probably the less said about iron man 2 the better um <laughs> but iron man 2 came out in may 2010 that introduced shield it introduced nick fury and it introduced natasha romanoff aka black widow so by that point, we're, we're getting to know some of these sort of smaller characters um, who eventually will turn up in The Avengers. Thor, who I know you have a very personal <laughs> connection with the, yeah. uh, the Norse god of Thunder. <laughs> he, his film came out in May 2011, and also that film introduced Loki as well, who was also very, very prevalent in The Avengers. And the final film was Captain America, The First Avenger, which came out in July 2011. So again, there was only a month. And I different. saw that one, and I hated it, because I hate Captain America. <laughs> yeah, well, Captain America, The First Avenger, is, I, I remember when I first watched that, and I, I didn't like it at all. Subsequent viewings have actually been a lot more favourable for me. And I think it's actually a charming film. It's charming because I think of of the, the setting, the fact it's primarily set during the war. And the thing with all these films, apart from Iron Man 2, which was obviously a follow-on, was they were all origin movies. And they were all setting yeah. up. They were basically setting up the Avengers. They had this big plan that they wanted to do. They wanted to they wanted to do the Avengers. But before, they, they decided that they wanted to do all these origin films for all these people. It would have been super awesome if they would have not left out Natasha. Well... <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, Natasha was obviously introduced in Iron Man 2, and she basically had a cover story of, of being a personal assistant to Tony Stark um, and worked with, with Pepper. Um, okay, yeah, I definitely did not see that movie. I don't remember any of that. 
Well, it definitely happened. I mean, she... she, she <laughs> I don't was, believe you. She's no. okay in that movie, but to me, the version of Natasha that we see in Iron Man 2 is not the same Natasha that we see in The Avengers. Well, um, you know, I also feel like it would have been nice... Um, although I suppose for people who are true fans, maybe they don't need an origin movie for her. But, like, for me, when I'm watching it, part of me is just kind of wondering, like, both for her and Hawkeye, I'm like, are they not just regular humans? How are they surviving all of this? Like, uh, could yeah. we get a little bit... I mean, like, in the Age of Ultron, you get a bit of backstory on her, um, but not that much. So yeah. it would be nice to... I don't know. I feel like she has an interesting backstory. So, and there's there's a lot of hints in this film about her backstory and about where she's come from. She mentions a couple of times she has read in her ledger, and you know we get a couple of glimpses. Yeah, and that's yeah. I think that the like whole intense. world. I think the whole world wants a Black Widow movie. I, I yeah, think they she has like this, do it. She has like this intense relationship with Hawkeye, mm-hmm. which. Um, I feel, I mean, they kind of just assume that you understand it, or they just kind of just go like, oh, well, this is axiomatic. And as I'm watching it, I'm like, are they lovers? Are they just friends? Like, um, like it, it, it would have been nice to have a pre-movie where you got to see maybe part of why their relationship is so, like, why he matters so much to Yeah. Because in yeah. the movie, when they say that Hawkeye has been compromised, like, her entire demeanor changes. Because mm. clearly she's very affected by it. Yeah. So it would have been nice. I think that they obviously wanted to leave it up to audience interpretation. But I've read on the internet quite a lot of fan theories about Clint Asher. Because people ship them. And I think that a lot of people took from those scenes that there was a, a mutual romantic affection between Clint and Natasha that obviously in Age of Ultron we realise isn't actually there that they are I know but that just made me even more interested about their relationship because she's clearly close with his family so I'm like that just made me want to know even more about them (laughs) because it was even more interesting you know yeah uh, so I really regret that. There were, also, because for me, it would have helped, because I remember, like, now when I was watching Avengers, uh, I had watched Age of Ultron before it. So I obviously knew who Hawkeye was. Yeah. But I remember first time I watched the movie, I did not know who Hawkeye was, so I did not understand that it was a big, big deal, that he was compromised. I did not understand why. It, like, I had no idea who his character was or, like, so, like, half of that part, or half the part of the movie where he is compromised, like, it had no effect on me, because I was like, I just thought he was a random bad guy. Yeah. Well, um, I think that, that's kind of the point. I know that Jeremy Renner, who who plays Hawkeye, was not very happy, in the end, of how his character was treated, because essentially he spends, like, three quarters of the movie being Loki's slave. Yeah. And he didn't like that. He didn't like that. Because we, we actually meet Hawkeye very briefly in Thor. I don't know if you oh, remember. Oh, okay. No, I don't remember that. Yeah, it's a very, very brief scene where Thor decides he wants to retrieve his hammer and there's basically a, a massive shield, basically a massive shield tent. His hammer has fallen into the desert and um, no one can get it out because obviously no one else can lift Thor's hammer because you have to be worthy. But at that point, Thor isn't worthy, so he can't lift it. So um, you've actually got Hawkeye up at the top of this sort of massive tower, and you see him for like three minutes. But that's it. That's the only introduction we got to Hawkeye was that three minutes in Thor. We don't oh, see him okay. otherwise. 
Shall so he's kind of like a character for the fans, pretty much. Yeah, well, I mean, I like in, in Avengers, because, yeah, yeah, like, for me, I didn't know who he was. I mean, I just... I will have to say, though, as we're talking about Hawkeye, because I felt, felt like, uh, as I was watching Age of Ultron, I felt like the comedy was a bit more forced. Like, in Avengers, I felt it flowed a lot better. But uh, Hawkeye had, like, the one line that made me laugh out loud in Age of Ultron. <laughs> When uh, the quick guy, Quicksilver, yeah, that thing, yeah, when he like picks up his sister and like runs away and says like, "Keep up, old man," <laughs> and like Hawkeye like takes aim at him and then he keeps walking, we're like walks behind him and he's like, "No one would know." <laughs> Last time I saw him, Ultron was sitting on him, you know, <laughs> like a ridiculous voice kind of. Mind. I thought that was hilarious. I love that. I think that generally, when we're talking about the Avengers, and when we're not going to kind of go. We're not going to talk about every single scene and every single plot point because, quite frankly, it would take us forever. And we already kind of, we try and limit the podcasts to about an hour and fifteen minutes, just because we kind of know that people don't want to sit and listen for much longer than that because they'll probably get bored of our voices. But this is like a two and a half hour film, and <laughs> this isn't like a single episode of Buffy, the sort of thing that we would normally podcast about. So we're not going to go scene by scene and talk about everything. It's just impossible. Yeah. But generally, I, I think we could summarise this film by kind of saying, yes, it's an ensemble piece. It's about a team. But essentially, the film is about Iron Man. Because Iron Man, at this point, he's had two films already. He's the guy that people know. He's the yeah. guy that people love. So the focus is kind of a bit more on him than everyone else. I mean, Robert Downey Jr., He's the most prominent on the poster. His name is first on the poster because that's the rule. The, the biggest star goes first on the, the list of stars on the poster. So he's he's kind of our main character. He's our main Yeah, character. and he feels a lot more, because kind of in Age of Ultron, it feels a little bit more like Captain America is a bit of like the leader of the gang. Yeah. And here it feels, uh, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a leader, but it feels more like it's between him and Iron Man. It's like there's a lot of focus on Iron Man. Yeah, I think they did that intentionally. But, yeah, but he's kind of like, he's like the driving source of a lot. Yeah. And also, Robert Downey Jr. is genuinely quite funny in this film. He ad-libbed a lot of his lines as well. I, I actually wrote a note on that, that I really like his, um, the, when it's Stark, Potts, and Coulson scene, when Coulson comes and, like, refuses to take no for an answer when he wants to brief him. And she's like, oh, hi, Phil. And he's like, when is he Phil? When did he become Phil? <laughs> he gets all, like, petty and upset. Yeah, he says, I thought his first name was Agent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like I say, we're not, we're not going to talk about the film in detail. We're certainly not going to go into Age of Ultron in a great deal of detail because... I think that we would literally still be sitting here like six hours from now and we wouldn't even <laughs> scratch the surface of, of everything that we wanted to talk about. But I feel like I have one important thing to say about uh, Age of Ultron, though. Okay. Well, I feel like when Age of Ultron came out, uh, a lot of people complained, or at least from what I saw, that the banner Romanov romance came out of left field. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it did not when you watched The Avengers. I feel like... It's kind of subtle, but she is consistently placed with Banner mm-hmm. or the Hulk. And, like, when he hulks out, she is there and she tries to soothe him. And, I mean, fine, he hulks out and she has to run away. But she is the one who's, like, she's done sitting and she's affected by it. And I, I just feel like they were consistently put together. And when he comes back at the end of Avengers, uh, they definitely share a bit of a moment. So I do feel like 
Joss had them in mind uh, here already. I don't necessarily agree with that. I have very deep feelings about Age of Ultron and about how they treat Natasha in that film. And I understand that Scarlett Johansson was pregnant during filming. And therefore, yeah, you, you can tell in certain scenes, they very sort of cleverly hid her stomach I mean, could you not see how big her boobs were? They were massive. <laughs> <laughs> she's a really shapely girl. Like, she, I just kept I yeah. just kept thinking, like, she looks awesome in that suit. Yes, and the only note I made about her appearance was, why does her suit glow? Like, because it had, like, blue lines in Age of Ultron, and I don't think it had that in Avengers. Yeah, so. that's, I think that might be a byproduct from Winter Soldier, maybe. Obviously, Age of Ultron has, like I say, comes during Phase 2. So at that point, we've had another Thor movie. We've had Captain America Winter Soldier. Absolutely fantastic. It is up there. <laughs> the best. Honestly, I love that. We have Guardians of the Galaxy. We have another is Iron Man Is that also movie. Marvel? Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. Yes. Is that like the same universe? Oh, okay. No, I didn't yeah. know. I, I thought it... I basically thought Guardians of the Galaxy was like the scary movie of uh, the superhero movies. <laughs> no. No, Guardians of the Galaxy is set in the same universe, but it's set in space. Oh, okay. So... Therefore, you don't really get any crossover between that and anything else that's set on Earth. There is a slight kind of crossover with the guy called the Collector who turns up in Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's in a, I think he's in a post-credit scene, but I can't remember which Marvel movie. But do you remember I I always talk to you about the Infinity Stones? Yeah. And we we have kind of this long-running discussion about Infinity Stones, and. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I've been trying to teach Taki about Infinity Stones and what they all mean. I still don't know what they are, but uh, I'm, I am I was glad that she had tried to explain them to me because I was like, what's up with these glowy gems? Yeah. <laughs> well, in a nutshell, I'll explain it to you now. So, thus far, in Captain America, uh, First Avenger, we're introduced to the Tesseract, which is obviously also in the Avengers. The Tesseract... I thought Tesseract was from the Thor movie. No. Because uh, Thor and Eric Selvig seemed uh, familiar with it. Okay, I'm going to defer to you because I have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, now now you're making me question my own (laughs) name. I'm pretty sure, no, because in Captain America the First Avenger, the Tesseract was, so I think the Tesseract was originally in Asgard and somehow it ended up on Earth. And it was discovered by Hydra. Yes, they... that's another question. What is Hydra? <laughs> oh my God, they kept asking, asking and they kept so talking wrong. about it. It sounds like I have no idea what Hydra is. <laughs> well, okay, so basically, if you watch Captain America the First Avenger, we're kind of introduced to this uh, organization called Hydra. Basically an evil organization. Let's just sort of leave it that it's an evil organization. Okay, it, so um, it's not a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. I thought it was part of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, this is where it starts to get really confusing. Because Hydra is originally, like, evil. It's introduced in Captain America, the first Avenger. I don't think we see it before then. But it's run by this guy called the Red Skull. And the whole thing about Captain America, the first Avenger, is that he wants to use the Tesseract to create a weapon. He fails, which is, yay, well done, good guys win. And the Tesseract ends up in the ocean, where it's recovered by Howard Stark, who's Tony Stark's father. Howard Stark is one of the founder members of S.H.I.E.L.D., okay? (laughs) God, I'm exhausted. (laughs) So at the start of the film, at the start of the Avengers, S.H.I.E.L.D. has possession of the Tesseract. 
and we established that they are trying to use the Tesseract to create their own weapons, essentially. And the reason why they're doing that is because when Thor landed on Earth, they realised they were completely outgunned by... Yeah, he basically lays waste to a whole town with the big... I don't even know what the big robot thing was called that they sent down. But yeah, the big metal robot dude that gets sent down from Asgard to kill Thor because of him, they decide they want to create their own weapons. So at the end of the Avengers, the Tesseract gets sent back to Asgard. Okay, so it's... uh, I'm on the board. I'm on the tree. Okay. So at the end of the Avengers, the Tesseract is back in Asgard under the protection of Odin. So the Tesseract is basically the space stone. So it's one of the Infinity Stones. It's the space stone. Okay. In the Avengers, we establish that a mystery assailant, who we now know to be Thanos, we'll get to him a bit later, this is where you need previous knowledge to actually understand any of these films, by the way. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, Thanos... I'm like, where does Loki come in? <laughs> well, we're, we're, I'm going to get to Loki now. So, Thanos gifts Loki with a scepter, which contains the Mind Stone. And that's another one of the Infinity Stones. Um, okay, so, so that's Thanos, why you can control people. Yeah. So, the scepter contains the Mind Stone. And at the end of the Avengers, the scepter the scepter is taken by Hydra, eventually, in future movies to Sokovia that's why in Age of Ultron Hydra has Loki's scepter and it's used to help create Quicksilver who's uh, Pietro Maximoff and his sister Wanda you know I'm gonna say that uh, in the start of Age of Ultron I did not care that much for Quicksilver or Wanda but at the end of it uh, I was really affected by his death Oh, I wasn't. So, uh, really? I was really moved by that. I had really grown uh, or grown attached to him. So oh, no. I was really yeah. sad about that. I, I was never that kind of taken with They were created, given their magical powers by Loki's scepter. Okay. And, then, and then at the end of Age of Ultron, the scepter is then taken by Tony Stark. Um, <laughs> and then that's how Vision is created. And the, the gem is actually then implanted in Vision's head. So the actual stone itself controls Vision. And Vision, so, is that the Jarvis thing? Yeah. Okay, because so, I was calling him the Jarvis thing, because yeah, he wasn't Jarvis. I understood that, but he had Jarvis voice. So yeah, that's, that's I called him the Jarvis thing. <laughs> so um, so we, we know about the Mind Stone, we know about the Space Stone, because we've had those. And then future movies from the Avengers onwards, in Guardians of the Galaxy, we see the Power Stone, which is the Orb. In Thor the Dark World, we see the Reality Stone, which is the Ether. And in Doctor Strange, which is the latest film that's just come out, we see the Time Stone, which is the Eye of Adamotto. And there's one further stone that has not been discovered in any Marvel movie thus far, which is the Soul Stone. So, they are your Infinity Stones. Okay. And I thank you very much. <laughs> applause, applause. Oh, God. <sighs> right, oh, I'm about spent now. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about I've Loki. I've been recording this for several hours already because it feels like it. Right. Let's talk about Loki because Loki's great. Uh, yes. Obviously, I uh, have personal objections to them utilizing Norse gods. Uh, and I've already raged uh, Athena a little bit about this. So I do oh, not. Oh, my God. <laughs> Messages have been going back and forth, like, oh, sometimes I felt like it was a personal attack. <laughs> like, I'm not happy with this. So I'm not going to get into too much to that. Let's just say that I take some offense to their treatments or their use 
Um, but in general, I think that Loki is a pretty great bad guy. He's very entertaining. He's very charming. There's this great scene when he needs to get an eyeball, and obviously he does it all showy, and he just grabs this guy and flips him up on this thing and, like, jumps this thing on his face to get his eyeball out, and it's all very effective. He, I don't know, I, I really love him as the bad guy of this movie. Yeah, Loki is especially fantastic. Tom Hiddleston, He's just been a great... Really, uh, it's kind of great in the introduction scene, too, when he comes out and then he, like, takes over Hawkeye and then he just has him shoot Fury and they just walk off. I love that kind of stuff when they don't stand around and talk for ages. He just does it and takes it off. I mean, later he does do a lot of talking. Yeah. But I think that the introduction is very efficient as a, will- uh, as a villain. Well, and that's the thing, is the film really does get going when it gets going, you know, there's very little exposition or anything like that. We start in the underground sort of shield. By the way, why would you put a massive facility like that underground with, I suppose, that you could argue that the Tesseract up until that point has been dormant. Yeah. But still, you've got something that you know is alien and you put it underground with like, I mean, how many floors underground? We're talking quite a lot of floors <laughs> underground. And yeah, it just seems a bit silly to me to do that but when it gets going it really gets going you don't really have a great deal of time at this point if you've never seen any of the previous marvel movies you are a little bit thrown in the deep end because there is no exposition it's literally oh okay we're shield we've got the tesseract tesseract i really like that though it is good because really it's a film that's there to cater to fans more than it is to cater to new people because it assumes that you already know all these things. Also, just on a on a by note, I just wanted to do a little shout out because you know I love my shout out. <laughs> the very first person that we see in the movie is actually Alexis Denisov. Alexis in it? Yes. Alexis I didn't even Denisov. notice that. He's in full makeup. You would never know it's him. He oh, plays okay. the other, um, who is the guy that deals with Loki during the film. Uh, you don't really kind of oh, see his that's face. Alexis Denisov. That's Alexis Denisov. Oh, wow. A.K.A. Wesley Wyndham Price. I had zero idea about that. That's, uh, that's funny. <laughs> well, there's, a, there's actually a couple of little, a little nods to Joss's previous works throughout this film. We've got, en- I don't know how to pronounce it, then. Enver Goda. Enver? Um, Enver Yukai, I thought it was. Is it Yukai? Okay. I kind of thought that. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's Enver. He's, he's in it a bit later on. He plays a police officer, and he's obviously known as Victor in Dollhouse. And then there's the waitress who's also I in Dollhouse. I stand the waitress. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't even like her in Dollhouse either. No, I hated her in Dollhouse and I hate her in this. No, it's, I just think that the whole thing with the waitress, they just linger on her far too long. And But that's because she's buddy-buddy with Job. I know, but the thing is, is all of these people, we, we know that the Avengers save the day at the end. We don't need the camera to focus on this one woman who happens to get saved by Captain America and then just happens to be interviewed at the end and goes, Captain America saved my life. Mm-hmm. But we know that he saved your life because they saved everyone's lives, apart from the people <laughs> who probably died and the building yeah, that's... Yeah, I was going to say, is it, apart from all the people who died. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the destruction in this film, I mean, there is a lot of destruction. Literally, New York is is pretty wasted by the end, but 
<laughs> I don't think you can blame the Avengers for that because at the end of the day, most of it was caused by aliens shooting lots of cars and big, massive snake monsters, leviathans, or whatever you want to call them, laying waste to everything. So, yeah, but anyway, that's the end. They also, told the, they also told the Hulk to go smash, so. Yeah. Well, so we talked a little bit about Loki and about how fantastic he is, and he really genuinely is. I think when you... Yeah, I mean, you can't... It's not every villain you can put in a glass cage and he's still entertaining. Yeah. Uh, I feel... Tom Hiddleston is just... He's just fantastic. And there was no one else who could do that role. And interestingly, Tom Hiddleston actually auditioned for the role of Thor. Really? He did. He uh, worked out for a little bit to sort of get muscle. Not as much as Chris Hemsworth, obviously. I don't think any man could do that. And if you search on the internet, you can find an audition video of Tom Hiddleston auditioning for Thor. I think it's a good really thing he got Loki. But he didn't get it because <laughs> he is just, he's Loki. He is yeah. Loki. He's, he's also, I don't know, you, you, the, the thing is that, uh, I think I kind of wrote you that, that I was like, uh, Team Loki, that I even felt bad, you know, that I'm like, I wasn't necessarily on the Avengers side, that, and that's partly because, you know, he's so charming. Yeah. Uh, that you kind of go like, well, I kind of like him, even though he's evil. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are uh, several points where the movie just fall down in the writing of certain characters and their motives. I get that Loki is slighted because in the original Thor movie, he discovers that his parents are not his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you have a brother who is Thor, who is heir to the throne of Asgard, clearly the father's favourite son, and you have to kind of live with that. And clearly he felt slighted by that, and he decides that for some reason he wants to take the Earth as recompense for his slights in life, which kind of doesn't really work for me. I get that he wants to do it to hurt Thor because Thor loves Earth. and Yeah, Thor but I'm has... like, why does Thor love Earth? I don't get it. <laughs> well, the thing is, I get that... I'm like, is it because he has a girlfriend? Like, because... Uh, what? <laughs> well, yeah, he only loves Earth because that's where his girl lives. But yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like you have a significant other in London, therefore you love London. Well, not necessarily, because there are bad parts of London and good parts of London, and you'll only like the part of London that you're significant other lives in surely but you know okay so we we take from that that loki decides that he wants to hurt thor so he decides that he wants to enslave the whole of humanity uh, okay well you know it's like he says we were born to kneel he has a point <laughs> <laughs> i don't kind of get that really the whole reason thanos wants the Tesseract, is he wants control of all of these stones. Because eventually down the line, we're going to get to Avengers Infinity War. And Avengers Infinity War is basically going to be Thanos. He's going to have his special Infinity Stone glove. I don't know what it's called. But where all the stones fit in, and he's going to have unlimited power. Um, But to do that, he gives one of his stones away. Because he gives Loki the Scepter, which has a stone in it. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand why Thanos would I couldn't understand why Thanos would do it, because Loki has promised him the Tesseract. Maybe he figures he'll get it back. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose you lend a friend a DVD, and you hope that you'll get it back one day. Well, maybe he more out. thinks that I can kill this little... <laughs> I can kill him later, you know. Yeah, and but just he's going to be ruler of Earth. 
Yeah, but maybe Thanos is like, yeah, or yeah, <laughs> just probably. bomb the shit out of them and take that back my stone and yeah, probably. Too I mean, there's always there's always somebody who wants to ruin Earth. Just look at the Age of Ultron. Wants to ruin Earth. It always happens. <laughs> this is true. There are always people who want to ruin Earth. But, That's um, another thing I'm gonna say about Avengers and Avengers: Age of Ultron. I kind of feel like Ultron is the same villain as Loki. Oh, well, he's, he's, not, he's not as well developed as Loki. Yeah. Because Loki's had a film like already failed. to develop. I, I feel like Loki is a lot better, but I feel like Ultron's humor doesn't, he's not very funny uh, to me, but he also, they both have this speech about S.H.I.E.L.D. and how, you know, you're just serving murderers yourself and you're also just murderers, so who are you to get on your high horse to the Avengers? And yeah. They both just kind of want to rule the earth. I mean, okay, Ultron wants to kill everybody and just have metal around. But uh, still, I kind of felt like they were a little bit the same villain. Well, I think that what they did with the Avengers was they obviously took a pre-existing villain who even still to this day, you could probably argue that the weakest point of the Marvel Cinematic Universe itself is its villains. Because really, the only villain that's ever really resonated with viewers is Loki. Everyone yeah. else has just been, like, the same. You know, a carbon copy of each other, wanting to rule the world or enslave the population. It's all one and the same. Or they want infinite power. And there's never any rhyme or reason to why they do what they do. Um, that was quite kind I was so disappointed that Loki didn't come back in the second one. Because I thought that he was such a great villain that I wanted to see him come back. Because I also really love the end of Avengers when Thor is taking him away and he has, like, his mouth guard on and he just looks so, like, petulant and sullen. Um. Well, they filmed a scene in Age of Ultron in Asgard that Loki was going to actually be in. In the end, the scene is quite famous, actually, with fans of Joss in that it's the scene that actually shows there's um, a wolf, a ram, and a heart together. And it's just a little nod to Angel. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. But I think we we only ever see Heimdall in that scene, and it's the one where Thor goes to the special lake, and no one really knows why he's gone to the special lake with Eric Selvig to get a vision. Oh, yeah, Uh, the stone. Yeah, and in the context of that film, it makes no sense, because they basically cut out important information that a viewer would need to know the reason why Thor was doing that, because you just see him take a dip with a shirt off, and I'm (laughs) sure all of the viewers would be very happy that... Chris Hemsworth is taking his top off again, because I can tell you I was. Other than that, the scene serves very little purpose, other than Thor seeing Asgard in a certain condition that distresses him. But Loki was supposed to be in that scene. I believe they cut it out, which is disappointing. I don't know why. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's just like, you know, obviously, at the end of Avengers, Thor takes him home, and you know they're, they're not going to kill him. So I guess it's just interesting to see what's going on with him. Well, like, how could he have him. a finger in the game? Like, how could he possibly be involved? In, uh, well, you do what's... see him in For the Dark World, which comes oh. before Age of Ultron. So Age of Ultron is the second to last film in Phase 2 of Marvel Cinematic Universe. And before that... Oh. Saw the Dark World is Loki is basically in prison. In and we're uh, um, not really doing this chronologically, and no. we're just kind of talking around everything. Uh, now it's time to bring up the fact that I love Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. I wanted to talk about individual characters, and I know we kind of went off on a tangent with Loki there, but yeah. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo is fantastic. I've done quite a lot of digging on Mark Ruffalo and his involvement 
in the MCU as Bruce Banner. I feel like he makes a very convincing Banner, but yeah. also he's he's like, I, I don't know, he's like human and sense. Like I don't know, I just I really love his portrayal of Banner. I think he's he's a great character, and I really care for him. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene in India where you first meet Bruce and Natasha is obviously trying to persuade him to help them. And it's a really beating moment, but you see Bruce next to a crib and they're talking about Natasha becoming a spy very young. And he says something like, I don't every time get what I want or something like that. And he rocks a crib, which I just think is just such a beautiful piece of, of storytelling and, and backstory into this man who desperately wants to be normal and desperately wants that normal life that he can never ever have because of being exposed to this gamma radiation and having this other guy that he calls him constantly present in his life i think his eyes his eyes just tell you everything that you need to know about bruce yeah if he's like confliction and self yeah. like he's constantly the pain and everything that he goes through is well. and when he looks mad he looks kind of frightening like yeah He's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. No, he genuinely is. In The Incredible Hulk, it's Ed Norton who plays Bruce Banner. But apparently, Mark Ruffalo was the director's original choice. Oh, really? And for some reason, he couldn't take it, so Ed Norton got the job. But there was quite a lot of fan backlash when they announced The Avengers because they expected Ed Norton to be Bruce Banner. And they announced that Mark Ruffalo was going to be Bruce Banner. And on the internet, I mean, the internet erupted, basically. It's so stupid looking back now. But... <laughs> People were not happy that this guy was taking over the role from Ed Norton. And to be honest, he's one of the highlights of this movie. Yes, and uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because obviously I've only seen him as the Hulk, but I just can't picture Ed Norton in that ensemble. No. Like, I feel like Ruffalo really works well with the rest of the cast. And I think from reading what I've read, that's part of the reason why they chose not to go back to Norton because they felt he wouldn't work in the ensemble. Obviously, Ed Norton was quite a big star. I don't know whether they felt that Robert Downey Jr. wouldn't work well with him or... Because the chemistry between Stark and Banner in this film is great. You know, it is. It's really great. Mutual, they basically have a little bromance going on. You know, yeah, and like at the end, they take off together and yeah. come the second one, they've obviously been working together and uh, yeah, I think they have a great chemistry. Yeah. And he has great chemistry with everyone, really. And I just think that, I think Ed Norton's a good actor, and I think he's been in some good roles, but I couldn't see him doing that at all. Couldn't see him working that well with everyone. No, me either. So, that was a great call by (laughs) the casting. Team Ruffalo. Yeah, Team Ruffalo for life. Can we talk about Black Widow? No, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> we've obviously mentioned her a little bit already because you mentioned that you would have liked to have had a, a film about her. There still is not on the cards for the MCU a film for Black Widow. Really? No. I would have figured that they were all over that. <laughs> well, you would think that considering the character and how popular she is, I mean, there are some negative views on the character from Age of Ultron. However, I don't think that's to do with... I don't feel like that has to do with the character. I feel like that has to do with that particular line about her being a monster. Uh, That's got a lot of backlash, uh, I know. I personally didn't have a problem with that line. I felt like it was more 
Uh, I felt like it was maybe unfortunate where it was placed. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely felt like the point of the line was to point out that she was made to be nothing but a killer, yeah. like a lot like the Hulk is, like she is supposed to be nothing but a killer. Yeah. Uh, and that everything about her is has been to, you know, streamline basically this killer instinct, mm. um, trying to strip her of everything that makes her human. Yeah. And uh, I thought that that was uh, really, like, the glimpses we got from her background, I thought that was super interesting, so I would definitely watch a movie about her. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would. There are some as-yet-untitled slots upcoming in 2020, and, I mean, they've obviously announced Captain Marvel as being the first female-led Marvel movie. I believe that's coming out in 2019. And There's like Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel, yeah. Oh. We won't go into her because she has a very rich history in herself, but she's going to be played by Brie Larson, who I believe won an Oscar. She's a great actress, and I think she's going to be fantastic in the role. I really do. Although I would have loved to have seen Emily Blunt in the role, I have to be honest, because Emily Blunt is a particular favourite. Emily Blunt, coincidentally, was down to play Black Widow, but I really? think she had to drop out the uh, scheduling conflict. I really like Emily Blunt, but at the same time, I really like Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. Yeah. And I don't even really like Scarlett Johansson. I do really like her. I think she's one of those actresses that she's always kind of good value in a film, in that I feel that a film with her in is going to be infinitely better with her in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying she's perfect by any stretch of imagination. <laughs> I'm sure she's made some good films. But I think that the character of Black Widow in this film, I think she's given enough... She's not given very much of a backstory, but what we are given for her is infinitely more interesting than really we're given about Hawkeye or anything like that. We're told that she was trained to be a spy from an early age and that she was basically conditioned that she has read in her ledgers. And even Loki lists things that he knows that she's done. And she's genuinely quite emotional about him. Well, it's also a great scene with her and Loki where she tricks him into... Oh, I love that. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's not, I don't think there's a scene in this film with Black Widow in that I don't like. I mean, the very first scene that we get with her with the interrogation and she gets the call from Gordon, yeah, <laughs> and she basically says, this moron is giving me everything and this guy's like, I don't give her everything because she's tied <laughs> up and at that point you kind of think, well, what's this woman, what's she going to do? And she's just fantastic. She has this incredible skill of deception. And but I'm still a little bit like, I'm a little bit annoyed that both her and Hawkeye uh, fight so well. Like, I mean, you have like Hulk and Thor and Iron Man, and they're all getting pretty, they're, they're all getting pretty banged up. And I'm like, yeah. she's just human, right? Yeah. And she still and she manages. Carries on. Yeah, she's <laughs> I mean. I love that she literally does not have a hair out of place during the Battle of New York. She has a little bit of blood on her forehead, but she does not have a hair out of place. She's not out of breath. She is just like, yeah, bring them on. I want to fight some more. Um, Before uh, we leave her, um, I just remembered that as I was watching it, uh, it's kind of funny because we're talking about Scarlett Johansson, is that as I was watching it, uh, there's, you know, some scene where she and Captain America are in the same room or whatever together. And what just hit me is that there's this movie that I've seen several times because it's on TV a lot called The Nanny Diaries. 
And it's Scarlett Johansson, and the guy who plays Captain America plays, like, the upper-class guy that she falls in love with, or the neighbor who she falls in love with. And he's just basically the eye candy of that movie, you know, and it's kind of, I mean, it's a charming movie, but it's not the best movie. And I was just watching there, and I was, like, sitting here watching it, and I was like, wow, look how far you guys have come. Now, instead of, like, the guy next door, like, the douchey guy next door, he's Captain America, and instead of the nanny, she is. Uh, you know, Black Widow. Well, I have to say, I've never even heard of that, so I kind of have no idea what it is. It's just like one of those, you know, silly like rom coms kind of. Yeah, it does sound like a silly rom com. I've got to be honest. Uh, and but they have great chemistry in that movie, and yeah, uh, <laughs> but it was just funny because I was I was watching, I was like, why do I recognize him? And then I was like, oh right, <laughs> from that dodgy rom com. <laughs> but also, and I know that we're again going a bit further forward, but. Captain America Winter Soldier, she's in that, and obviously he's in that because he's Captain America, and their relationship in that film is, they are spot on together, you know, as as obviously the characters of Black Widow and, and Captain America, they're great together, they work well together, she is on a par with him, I think it's fantastic to watch these characters grow, and I really do think that Marvel are missing a trick by not giving her a movie like yeah. now straight away just do it and Absolutely. I know that they mentioned something about oh well Scarlett's going to be however old she's going to be it doesn't matter oh, bah, bah, it doesn't bah. matter how old she is That's <laughs> I don't care give her a movie just do it also uh, she's not getting younger like, if that's what they're concerned about. Well, yeah, that's the thing. They've got, to, they've got to just schedule it and just do it ASAP. Because I think she's a character rich in history, and she deserves to headline her own movie. And Scarlett Johansson has that star ability to do that. Ten years ago, they probably would have been hesitant to have a woman headlining a film like this. They're still a bit hesitant about women headlining films now. But it can be done she has the star power to do it and the character can do it and i mean there's a couple of things that annoy me about the marvel cinematic universe in general but that's kind of the one that really irks me is why do they not just do it there must be a reason why and i'd love to know what it is because i can't see any reason why you wouldn't do that yeah for that character anyway talking of captain america shall we just have a quick chat about him and about how we feel about cap yes crap (laughs) (laughs) no Captain America, it's not, it's kind yeah. of a rags to riches story in a sense. This guy who comes from nothing, skinny, scrawny, has ailments, illnesses, gets injected with some super serum and becomes essentially a war hero. And then he gets frozen, as you do. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> I'm going to, that's one of the lines I wrote up. I have. I can't remember the context anymore, but I love this line, doing time as a capsicle. Yeah. I think that's Tony Stark says it yeah. to him, and Probably I love that. Lines, to be honest. I really love that, the capsicle. <laughs> and at the end of Captain America, the first Avenger, he wakes up in modern-day New York, and this film is actually set in the, the MCU timeline a couple of weeks after he's resurrected from the ice. So this guy has only been in modern society for literally two weeks. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I actually think that Captain America, as a character, is ever so slightly underserved. He's not really given a great deal to do other than boss people around. Yeah, that's (laughs) kind of what I felt that I was like, why is he the self-appointed leader? And, uh, yeah, I don't really... hmm. Chris Evans 
I think, does a great job as the character. And if we bear in mind that this guy has been on ice... 70 years. ...at this point, he knows nothing about modern society. He's been asleep since the war, and he's woken up, and he's all of a sudden catapulted into this brand-new style of war with these weapons and foes and so i kind of look at it like he's an important character to have in because of that history that he has Mm -hmm. but in captain america the first avenger he does end up saving a batload of people from hydra but essentially he's used as propaganda he's basically the face of the american war effort yeah i do remember that in a way i kind of feel a little bit like yeah okay he is captain america but he doesn't really have a great deal of experience being a captain. No. Because after the point that he's no longer used as war propaganda, he rescues some people, but that's kind of it. And then he goes so... Well, I think partly of what annoys me with Captain America is that I kind of feel like he is he is just that. He's like a poster boy, and he's supposed to be squeaky clean and always kind of the voice of reason, and makes him really super dull to me. But I think that that complaint is negated if you watch Winter Soldier and Civil War, because those films do such a great job with him that you genuinely start to believe that he is that hero. Whereas I don't think this film does a great job in doing that, because there's nothing there. There's nothing there to work with. The films in the future do a much better job with him than this film does. However, I will also say one of my favorite lines was also related to him. It's when Colson says that I, I watched you while you were sleeping. <laughs> and it sounds super creepy. <laughs> and he's like, um, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> he did what he needed to do. He rallied the troops. He directed people during the battles. And I don't like the uniform. I'm going to be honest. I I'm going to be honest and say that. Marvel has way better uniforms than all of DC. I think that all of these guys have just pretty good uniforms. Like, yeah, maybe Captain America's hat is a little ridiculous. Um, but otherwise, I think they all have pretty great uniforms. Yeah, I think Captain America's uniforms get better as the, as the films <laughs> progress. I know that they, they make this thing about Coulson having design input in his suit and stuff like that. And Coulson's obviously this massive Captain America mega fan, um, mm-hmm. has the trading cards. If you look at the trading cards, the uniform he has is pretty much exactly the same as the trading cards. Yeah, um, I saw that. And it's all like they... the, uh, the the hat part or the face mask part yeah. felt a little bit dated. Yeah. Um, I think that's the thing. I think it just looks a little bit dated compared to everyone else's. I just think that they could have done a bit more with him in a sense of maybe give him a little bit more to do that wasn't telling people what to do and having a Yeah, because it felt like they didn't really... It, it really didn't feel like I got a feel for his character, like who yeah. he was. He felt, yeah, like a shell, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And I have to just add, though, this is literally one of my absolute favorite films of all time. And I forced myself to actually be objective and <laughs> look at this in an objective way and actually question it. So I would like to just point out that I absolutely adore this film to pieces and I'm I feel like I'm ripping it to shreds, but I don't need to because I love it. And <laughs> I, just... I feel like I'm being super generous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not ripping it to shreds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, who do we also need to talk about? We need to talk about uh, I need to know why or, like, again, with the TV show Shield, because obviously Colson dies, which yeah. I remember the first time I saw this movie, I thought was really sad. Yeah. But 
now I know that he's on S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. And is that before this movie or is it after this movie? No, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is after this. So, so he comes back. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think really irks me about this film, is they obviously made a decision that they were going to kill someone off. And the MCU has a terrible track record of killing people off. Like, they just won't do it. So, well, they did it with Quicksilver, but Quicksilver kind of doesn't count because he's not... He was, in, he was in that movie to die, and there's a good reason why he Yeah, was and I was really sad. <laughs> Which you were really sad, and I wasn't. Because you don't have a heart. No, it's not that <laughs> I don't have a heart. There is a reason why he had to die in that film, and it's all to do with movie rights and stuff yeah. like that. I mentioned earlier about the X-Men and about Fox has rights to the X-Men. There's mm-hmm. also a character called Quicksilver in the most recent X-Men movie. Oh, okay. The character is the same sort of, but not the same. But, you know, they could just really borrow my name, the fast guy, and everything was some itself. Basically, Marvel had the right to use the name, and they wanted to use the character, but obviously Fox also had the right. And to be honest, the Fox version of Quicksilver is a little bit better anyway. The Pietro Maximoff in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a completely different character to Peter Maximoff in the Fox uh, X-Men universe. There's so much history and backstory with these characters, but there's so much that Marvel can't say, that Fox can't say, because of the difference in the rights that they have. It's Uh, really complicated. So I think Marvel made the decision that they wanted him in, but they were just going to kill him off because it was mm -hmm. just easier to kill him off. And because then they got this whole great emotionality thing for Scarlet Witch. The rights don't apply to her because she's obviously a completely different character. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have a sister character in X-Men, but she's very briefly seen. She's not his twin. She's not called Wanda. We don't know her name. So it's really, really complicated. <laughs> Even I don't understand it. So let's move on. Okay, let's move on. So you wanted to know about Coulson? Yes. Right. Um, like, no, or maybe I just wanted to know if this, if he came back to life, pretty much, because well, I, I was a little bit confused if yeah. the TV show was supposed to be before this or after this. So as I was saying, the MCU has a really bad history of killing people off. It made the decision to kill Phil Coulson, who'd basically been in, I think he'd been in Iron Man, Thor, Iron Man 2. So I think he'd he'd been in, like, three previous movies. I don't think we ever learned his name until maybe Iron Man 2. Um, Before that, he was just a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And the viewer has built up a relationship with this guy. And there is a real emotional punch. Yeah, because he's a good everyman, you know? Yeah, and he dies, and everyone is sad, and they use it as an excuse to get the Avengers to avenge, mm-hmm. even though they knew that an alien invasion was going to be happening, so surely that's enough motivation anyway, but never mind. Yeah, you'd think so. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Um, so, when they were filming this film, well, I don't know if they've retconned it to say, oh yes, that was our plan all along, but at this point, my understanding is that they were just going to kill him. And then, after this film came out, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. came out the following year, so 2013 Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. came out, and it transpired that Phil Coulson was alive and still working for S.H.I.E.L.D., and we find out he was injected by this alien stuff, which (laughs) brought him back to life, and then his memories of it are erased, so he basically doesn't know that he ever died, he just thinks he went on holiday, or something like that, Tahiti, I think they call it, but I think it ruins the emotional impact of this film, knowing... It does, because I remember first time we saw it in the theatre that I thought that that was, like... I was really affected by that, even though I wasn't, you know, the biggest fan. I was, like, when he died, I thought that was really affected and, like, quite a gut punch. 
And now as I was watching it, I was like, I know he's on S.H.I.E.L.D., so. (laughs) I do think it affects it quite badly. But I think they've done the best job that they possibly can do to tie Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in with the MCU, from what I've seen. I know you you had questions earlier about HYDRA and S.H.I.E.L.D., Mm -hmm. and the whole plot of Captain America Winter Soldier is essentially that HYDRA has infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, okay. Um, And that's obviously where the confusion is between who is S.H.I.E.L.D., who is HYDRA, because basically no one knows. It's People are secretly members of HYDRA, and HYDRA basically takes over S.H.I.E.L.D., and S.H.I.E.L.D. becomes no more uh, by the end of that film, and that's reflected in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I really like Agent Coulson. I think he's a great, great guy, great character. I think apparently he's really good friends with Gwyneth Paltrow in real life. Okay, yeah. And and also married to Baby from Dirty Dancing in real life. Oh, Jennifer Jennifer Grey? Yeah. Yeah. I love her. I wouldn't have together. (laughs) (laughs) I just think he's uh, such a great, yeah, just like the everyman. He just feels like he, yeah. He's the kind of character who's needed uh, in the midst of all these superheroes, you know? Yeah, because he's... The guy you can kind of relate to. Yeah, he's relatable, he's normal, and he essentially wants to do what's right. Mm -hmm. That's why he goes after Loki. That's why he goes after Loki, and after that, where you've got Tony Stark basically saying, you know, he was an idiot, he should have waited. That's Mm -hmm. not the guy Phil Coulson is. You know, Phil Coulson wouldn't have waited for backup. He would have just done what needed to be done. Well, it's also really nice to see that Stark was quite upset about it because it felt like yeah. that was him ranting processing the death and being like mad at him for dying yeah and it was <laughs> nice to see Tony Stark hear to about <laughs> yeah I mean it was nice to see Stark care about somebody else than yeah. you know Stark <laughs> yeah we need to talk about Thor we haven't even talked about Thor yet no what, what would you like to say about Thor I would like to say <laughs> I don't I don't love uh, that they use Thor. I don't like how they use Thor. I uh, feel like half of the time they write him as if, as if he's Olaf the Troll from Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting because in the episode, is it Triangle, where, where you've got Olaf the Troll with his hammer? Yeah. Yeah, and immediately I was like, oh, is that me on the I like the character of Thor in a sense that I don't know enough about the sort of Norse mythology to really have an opinion on whether the right sort of portrayal from sort of that I only know the Marvel portrayal of Thor and the Marvel history of Thor so I would imagine from a Scandinavian point of view if that's something that you've grown up knowing and this is obviously different to what you know then yeah Yeah, I can understand you might not be 100% happy with that yeah, and I mean, it's a bit insulting. It's kind of like um, at some point, you know, when he comes and gets, Lo- gets Loki out of the plane, I always said Scarlet Witch, I because I mix up Scarlet Johansson, uh, I mean Black Widow, Yeah, <laughs> says that uh, you don't want to mess with them, they're basically gods, and uh, I went kind of, I was like, they're not basically gods, they are gods, you monotheistic asshats, you know, <laughs> it just feels like, you, you know, I'm like, they are gods, they are not comic book heroes, or they are not supposed, to, you know, I mean, I just find it a little bit insulting when there are placed on the same level as basically an American science experiment, you know, so for me, that's a little bit, uh, it, it, I, I do struggle with watching that, I don't yeah. think it's, uh, 
But, and also, yeah, basically he's a lot to troll. I feel like he's very kind of ridiculous. They try and refrain from referring to them as gods, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they refer to them as demigods. Yeah. Um, I always wondered if that was to not offend anyone of a religious disposition. Um, I think it's more that they don't think of them as real gods because uh, they're like, this is a dead religion. It's not such a dead religion, really. But that basically they treat them as if they're folklore, you know. Okay. I kind of don't want to get into uh, too much of a religious kind of no. debate or anything <laughs> like that. But it's just to say I have issues with yeah, the word. And and, uh, I completely understand why. Because that's heritage for you, that's culture. But it's also like, it's also like, I feel like he looks a little bit ridiculous with the hammer, and then, you know, when he's going to travel somewhere, he swings his hammer and shoots away. Look, I, I cannot let you say anything bad about Chris Hemsworth, because <laughs> have you seen those abs? I mean, oh, he's, honestly, the man is a god. He really is. <laughs> I just want to melt in his presence. I mean, he's. I think he's great in in what he's given to do, but he's not really given a great deal to do other than, oh, Loki's my brother, and swinging his hammer, and did a little bit of lightning. Yeah, I feel like the only times he really kind of shines is when he and Loki are together, because I feel like they have, maybe because they've already made a movie together, but you feel like they have a bit of a kind of a brotherly bond going, um, at least that they have some chemistry, you know? Like, it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel like Thor has chemistry with any of the other characters. I think he struggles a little bit, but he doesn't really have very many scenes with anyone else. It just tends to be with Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he has fight scenes with other people, but he doesn't really kind of really converse one-on-one, not like some of the other people do. And I don't know whether that was like a conscious decision or whether they just decided, well, we know that he works with Loki, let's just put him with Loki. Because that was really the highlight of Thor. I mean... I still stress that Thor is a great film. I, I bloody love it. I really do. I I've could sit seen and watch that Thor. one. I don't remember that much of it. The only thing I really remember is that I didn't like Natalie Portman. Yeah, she's problematic. Like and I felt like I didn't understand. <laughs> like I felt like I didn't understand their connection and uh, stuff. Yes, because they have no connection. Uh, they saw each other and they were madly in love in like five minutes, and that's not how it works in real life. So <laughs> I do think, however, it's uh, funny that. Uh, Eric Selvig is in both movies, obviously, because yeah. he's played by a, a Swedish actor. He is. Uh, Stenald Skarsgård. Uh, oh, who that's is the, awesome. I, didn't, I didn't know he was playing out like that. Who is the father, obviously, of, say, Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I have Alexander a funny story. I can't, I can't say it like you, but Alexander Skarsgård is pretty lovely as well. <laughs> I read uh, an interview with Alexander Skarsgård where he uh, tells the story about him growing up with Stellan as uh, a dad and how when he and his brothers who were teenagers, like Stellan uh, just constantly walked around naked at home. And they would have like girlfriends and stuff over and they would be like, oh my god, dad, can you please put on a robe? Because <laughs> he was just constantly naked. And it's kind of funny when you look at him because he is not the guy you want to see naked. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's actually naked in uh, in Thor The Dark World. Well, now you know that that was just him ad-libbing. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he basically goes around with some pixelation on his, his nether regions. 
uh, for <laughs> a little bit. Because so he probably felt right at home. <laughs> well, he's controlled by Loki for pretty much all of this movie, apart from towards the end. And it basically messes with his head so much that he goes a bit crazy. So he basically runs around Stonehenge with no clothes on <laughs> and gets arrested. And that's basically what happens at the start of Thor The Dark World. But anyway, it's nice seeing him, because I've met him in person, and he's a really sweet guy. He's just very pleasant. Okay, I think we've kind of covered all of the main people. I don't think there's anyone that we've missed. We've talked about, talked about Iron Man, we've talked about Thor, we've talked about Hulk, we've talked about Black Widow, we've talked about Hawkeye. We haven't talked about Fury, but I don't feel like he's very interesting. I mean, um, Jackson is pretty cool every single time he's on screen. And I think there's a record or something that he's his movies have made the most money of all time or something like that because... He's been in so many he's in everything. franchises. He's in literally everything. He's been in Star Wars. He's been in Jurassic Park. He's been in Avengers. Literally, the man is awesome. The- yeah, I have nothing against him. I just feel like Fury is a little bit... Eh. Maybe maybe I'm just a little bit sore because he's like, oh, they needed a push. And I'm like, you're manipulating them. <laughs> yeah, I still don't think they did need the push. I think that the, no. the push was aliens invading Earth. That's enough of the push. They didn't... And the whole thing about the trading cards, and we find out that he fakes them being in Coulson's pocket. I can't... That, yeah, that's not I, I was, that was not necessary. And also, I thought he was just... Because he was... I mean, I don't even like Captain America, but when he goes like, oh, I guess you never did have time to sign them, and he kind of... I know! Throws so them at him. I'm like, mean? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, like that's dude, hard. Just, like, chill out. They just lost a... Not you know, friend, like, it's but a like, colleague. I mean, he was planning to sign them. Like, yeah. gee, it's not and like he was just like, throwing it literally in his face. Like, you never signed them, and it's not. I think that there's, there's not really much to say about Nick Fury. Well, he doesn't than... really do a lot, and he does, he talks to those people on the screen who are later called the Council, and I'm I guess they are the bad part of Shield. I don't know. I well, I no, sure they no, they're they're not. But yeah. I do have massive, massive issue with them deciding to nuke Manhattan. Yeah, I, I had no idea who those people were at all. They, they uh, basically oversee everything, and they, they come up again in future films. The problem I have is, in future films, um, and in, you know, in Age of Ultron, it's discussed, and also going into Captain America Civil War, it's discussed. They talk about the Battle of New York, and they talk about, oh, it's the Avengers' fault. They did this. They've caused all this destruction, Bear in mind, they were actually trying to, you know, help. The police weren't doing anything. But not only that, the council, in their infinite wisdom, decide they want to nuke Manhattan. (laughs) And then they go ahead and they're like, well, the Avengers, they uh, caused all this destruction in New York. And if it wasn't for them, then, you know, everything would be fine. Well, no, not if you'd nuked the place. (laughs) I mean, what would that have done? You know, yes. The city was partially destroyed, and yes, people did lose their lives. However, that's nothing. That's like a blip in comparison to nuking the island of Manhattan. I'm sorry. I just have to say, (laughs) this is the most ridiculous decision ever. But I did like that Fury decided to try and stop them, you know, by trying to blow up the jet that was going out. However, I do also have a problem with, they register a, a rogue bird. They say, oh, we've got a rogue bird, we need to shut it down, because they know that the nuke is coming out of the helicarrier. And then um, there are two. And there are actually two. So why were there not two rogue birds? Yeah, and I also love it that the first one, he has, like, some kind of, like, Uzi or whatever he's carrying. He's carrying something on his shoulder, like a yeah. rocket launcher or whatever. And he comes out and he shoots down. And then the other one picks up and he takes out 
his gun. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, what are you going to, like, what? <laughs> like, you bring a rocket launcher and, and a gun? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I love this film. Look, completely love it. There are some things that make no sense whatsoever. And that's one of them. Like, why would you even point your gun? Yes, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Why would you nuke the whole of Manhattan? Uh, I don't know. There's certain scenarios where characters completely disappear only to reappear a bit later on for no reason. A good example is Bruce Banner. When he's hulked, he gets thrown off a jet and lands wherever, and then he miraculously comes back at just the right yeah, to, time. Yeah, at just the right place, too. At just the right place, like... <laughs> yeah. Sword is the same. He's he's stuck in the big glass. Yeah, it was, that was uh, when I was watching it, uh, and they all suddenly started to, like, uh, get ready for the fight. I was like, how does Hulk and Thor know where exactly. to go and that they're, like, assembling now? And, like, what? Because it's, like, this powerful scene, and then, like, Hor- yeah. Thor picks up his hammer. I accidentally called him Hor. <laughs> Oh, he picks up his hammer, and it's, like, you know, inspirational music. But yeah. you're like, why are they... Why do they know what's going on? Yeah. And also, it takes Thor several scenes to actually pick up his hammer. Because there's one scene where he's thinking of picking up his hammer. There's a couple mm-hmm. of other scenes with other people for about two or three minutes. And then he finally picks up his hammer. And I'm like, dude, will you just stand in there like for three minutes waiting <laughs> to pick up your hammer? Exactly. <laughs> and then, yeah, like you say, miraculously just turns up at the right place at the right time. I mean, I don't think there's much to say about the Chitauri, the alien race that invade. Other than they're very nondescript, they're just aliens, and um, it turns out that the ship is controlling them, and when the ship blows up, they all collapse. So, that's not a lazy trope at all. Um, But, you know, I still forgive the film. I still think it's, like, literally the best thing in the world, even though I've found so many issues with it. I still love it. I still think it's great. But, yeah, at the end of the day, Tony Stark is the one who saves the day because, like I said, the film is essentially, it's not about him, but he is the main star. So he was the one that had to save the day in the end. It is a pretty great scene, though, when they rip off his uh, mask and they think he's dead and Hulk roars him back to life and his first thing is kind of like, please tell me nobody kissed me. <laughs> That's a pretty great scene. Okay, there's one thing that even I don't understand. That maybe, maybe you can help explain. <laughs> okay, so, early on in the film, we established that they, they want Bruce for his knowledge. They don't want him for Hulk. They just want him for his knowledge to find uh, gamma radiation. They want him to find the signature so they can find Loki. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. I understand. Even though, technically, Tony Stark says a bit later on, oh, I did the homework, I read up on this, so why couldn't they not get him to do it? But that's, that's by the by, that's just me being really, really pernickety about it. So they want Bruce's brain, they don't want Hulk. It's established that even Hulk is anxious about being on the helicarrier because it's like a confined space, it's in the air, he's a bit worried about it. And the inevitable happens and Hulk is unleashed. And he is unleashed in a scene with Black Widow, which is a great scene because you genuinely see the fear on her face. Mm-hmm. Like, she is petrified of, of this thing. And he goes at it, he is angry. He is chasing her. He is planning on killing her. And we, we can see that from the scene itself. The anger has consumed him. We get another scene with him and Thor. So you've got the god versus Hulk. And it's a great scene, you know. They have a bit of a sparring. Hulk tries to pick up Mjolnir, which I find hilarious. 
you could argue that how is the helicarrier picking up Mjolnir? Because I don't know. I don't know how it works. <laughs> but anyway, so Hulk can't lift Thor's hammer. So that's quite hilarious. And then eventually they lure Hulk out and he disappears. When he comes back, he comes back as Bruce because he's fallen from the sky but naked, as the old man says. He turns mm-hmm. up on a motorbike. And they say to him, Bruce, you need to suit up. And so they say, well, you know, how are you going to do this? What's your secret? And then he says, says, I'm always angry. I'm always angry. And then he hulks out on his own accord. And then he is one of the team. And And before that, yeah, he was basically just a rageaholic, you know, with no control. Uh, I still, to this day, don't understand why. How can he control it in one moment... But earlier on, he couldn't control it. If he's always angry, and he can control Hulk to an extent that he is working as a team, he saves Iron Man from falling. Cap says to him, Hulk, smash. And he's like, yeah, yeah I'm going to smash. He fights these aliens. Why? Why does he do that then? Why Why can't he control it earlier? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> that is a really good question. I suppose the only thing you can say is that maybe before he wasn't sure who to trust, he wasn't sure who the enemy was, uh, and that maybe the other guy then gets confused and can't, you know, differentiate between them. But I mean, it's a good point, because it's kind of like in Age of Ultron, he obviously gets worked on by Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. And then he gets, like, these red eyes, and then he just runs around yeah. and wounds everything because he's in a rage. Yeah. And that is very much like that first, uh, when he hulks out on the ship that you're talking about. But obviously in the second movie, he's under somebody else's influence. Yeah. So that's why he rages. So there's really, it doesn't, yeah, it's like you say in the first one that he rages, and then later he can control it, and it doesn't make that much sense. It really doesn't. And to me, that's not a detriment to the character, in a sense that I still think it's the best portrayal of Hulk that, you know, we have seen. We've had two Hulk movies. We had the Ang Lee movie, uh, which is not associated with the Marvel Cinematic Universe at all, and then the rights basically reverted back to Marvel, and then they, they made Incredible Hulk in 2008. So Incredible Hulk is the only version of Hulk that we've seen. And this is, by and large, the, the best version of Bruce Banner and the best Hulk. You know, I'm, I'm not disputing that. I still don't understand why. And no. it just doesn't make any sense. And yes, the only thing but I can say is that he doesn't, he doesn't know that to trust them yet. And when enraged, then the Hulk clearly uh, just doesn't have... Sorry, Hulk. Yeah. I'll see Hulk. Uh, but I really like um, how Hulk looks because I feel like even when he is the other guy uh, all green and lovely that he really does look like Ruffalo yeah I think Mark Ruffalo but, did motion capture for that so it, I think that's the reason why he looks like and apparently there was quite a lot of discussion about Hulk having a hairy chest Yeah, <laughs> um, because apparently canonically Hulk doesn't have a hairy chest but Mark Ruffalo does so they put hair on his chest, and I like it. I like the fact that Hulk has a hairy chest. I think it's yeah, I, I liked it because I, I really felt like um, he looked just like Mark Ruffalo, yeah. but like a big green Mark Ruffalo. Well, and also, if Mark Ruffalo's got a hairy chest and he becomes Hulk, 
It's not going to lose all the hair on his chest. Oh, like enough that he manages to keep his pants. <laughs> That's magic enough for me. <laughs> it's just one of those things. I mean, maybe you could argue that at the point where, you know, there's been an explosion and the, the reason why he and Black Widow are together is they fall down because there's been an explosion. Maybe you could argue that he's hurt Bruce is hurt, confused. therefore Hulk is hurt. And obviously when you're in pain, you're never the nicest person in the world when you're suffering. So maybe maybe that's the reason. But to be honest, I really wanted to talk about how the Avengers kind of works alongside Joss's other properties because obviously this is the first time he's really done something that's not his from the very start. Like everything else he's done, he's kind of written himself. These these are pre-existing characters, and I know you know from watching Buffy that he's mentioned Avengers a couple of times. He gets Xander, who you, you know we know that. Yeah. Xander is his voice in Buffy. Xander, a couple of times during the show, mentions Avengers. He says, Avengers Assemble. So we know that Joss always had a love for these characters, um, for Marvel characters on a whole. You know, then, I... Yeah, sorry. Oh, no, I was just, just going to say, I mentioned earlier about his link to X-Men. Joss actually wrote the Marvel comics. Between, oh, really? In between, he was doing Firefly and then Serenity. So about, like, 2004, he wrote several issues of Astonishing X-Men. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's always had a link to Marvel, but it's mainly been through X-Men. He even has said many times in the past that Buffy was influenced by a particular X-Men character called Kitty Pride. Mm-hmm. Um, Rogue? No, Kitty Pride. Damn it. Pride. I thought he knew something. <laughs> Rogue is a different character. Ah, oh, crap. I thought oh. he knew something, but clearly <laughs> I am oh. so foolish. I don't, I, Pride, if that <laughs> um, no, the character Kitty Pride. You see her in X Men: The Last Stand. She's played by Ellen Page, and then she's she's in Days of Future Past as well, uh, which is one of the more recent. X-Men I was going to say that I thought that was Rogue, but then I realised that was Anna Paquin. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's always been a link there for Joss with with Marvel. It's actually quite sad because Avengers did exceptionally well. It's still like the fourth highest grossing movie of all time. It's massive. He went on to do Age of Ultron, which was similarly big, huge, but it didn't have the same kind of critical and fan reception that Avengers Well, you know, honestly, I felt like watching Avengers, uh, you know, you got a lot of that Joss uh, humor and just like, I don't know, like it, w- it was a better story. When I was watching Ultron, I felt like I can completely understand why he would never want to make another movie like this because just the sheer logistics of it, yeah. you have this big ensemble cast and they're all really important characters. They all have to do something cool. They all have to do something important. They all have to have this quick alliance. You have to have a decent villain and then you have to introduce new characters to then turn into good characters. I mean, it's just like this whole humongous thing to tie together that I'm like, no wonder it feels forced. Like, how could you possibly do this? (laughs) Exactly. And I think at the end of the day, we put so much expectation in Joss, you know. In a way, we've, we've kind of put him on a pedestal as fans and we expect so much from him because of his history, of what he's done so far. And there's not many people who don't have love in some way for the guy. And I just think... The, the level of expectation that was on his shoulders, it was impossible. It was absolutely impossible for him 
as a human man to live up to all of those expectations, no matter yeah, what I mean, you did. Honestly, just watching the first 10 minutes of uh, Age of Voltron, they have like this big fight scene and, you know, you're, like you have like these individual shots of everyone and they're all kind of doing something and saying something funny. And after like the first 10 minutes, I was like kind of, cause, you know, obviously I work on the production end of movie making in Sweden. Um just doing paperwork uh but you know like all i could all i kept thinking was like the time it would take to make this and write this and then just like the exhaustive process of yeah. just making this like one 10 minute intro yeah. and i was like if i was him i would need like a year's break after making this yeah. movie and just sit and, and drool into a wall yeah, <laughs> absolutely and you've got so many people coming at you. you've got fans coming at you you've got marvel studios want certain things you'll have all of these actors, their representation, they'll be like, well, you know, he needs to be more prominent. You know, you need to do more with this person because, you know, they're a big star. And legal issues. And, oh, my God, it's just... When I look at Age of Ultron, and to be fair, the Avengers as a whole, I, I wonder how it was actually done. Yeah. <laughs> to actually end up with a finished product, yeah, Age of Ultron is not perfect. I do have issue with it. I've watched... The Avengers in full for this podcast. I've not watched Age of Ultron in full because, to be honest, I didn't have time. So a lot of my Age of Ultron stuff is purely from memory. But just the fact that he's managed to do these two films in their entirety keep pretty much majority of people happy whilst making billions of dollars. The guy deserves a break. He kind of deserves to walk away from it now and say, "That's it. I'm done. I don't want to." Well, because you know, like the like, that he got. Well, also because you know, like you said. Uh, he is not just working with, oh, I'm going to make an Avengers movie. You have this entire mythology to think about and to respect and, yeah. like, acknowledge. So, you know, you're so tied in many ways. Like, you can't make up all, like, a lot of stuff, you know? Like, what could he make up? That Hawkeye had a family? You know, like, it's such small things you have to work with, yeah. really. And that's the thing, you know, these characters have rich, varied histories. Sometimes you stick to the comic book storylines, sometimes you don't. Because if they're based on an existing product, they can either choose to be, you know, completely faithful, or they can kind of go off kilter a little bit and do whatever they want to do. And you know, whatever you do, made. and you know, whatever you do, people are going to hate you. <laughs> exactly, because you can't please everybody all of the time. And And to be honest, I think he did a sterling job. He really did. If you look at these films, how big they are, the scope of them, the storytelling, the fact that you've got, in phase one of the MCU alone, you've got five films before this one, mm -hmm. which has already told a story. You have to basically work from all of those individual existing stories and build your own stories so that other films can build from those stories. And then you've got another film that builds from those stories. It's just Yeah, and not to mention not to be mean to the actors, but when you have a lot of, you know, kind of top actors, I mean, let's face it, some of them are probably going to be a little bit diva you know? Uh, so you also have, like, creative differences, shall we say. Yeah. Yeah. It's astonishing. It's astonishing. I thought really? it was interesting that because uh, I uh, I wasn't a big fan of Ultron as a villain, uh, but as he kept talking, I was like, God, why do I recognize this voice? And then I looked it up, and it was James Spader. James Spader, <laughs> yeah. Isn't he mentioned in one of the first episodes of Buffy, which yeah. is one of the quotes that I always think dates the show when uh, Cordelia yeah, says, right. uh, 
James Spader and Buffy's response is, he needs to call me. And I'm like, no, he does not. <laughs> I think James Spader as Ultron, with just the voice alone, is fantastic. Because I think when you're doing voice work, mm-hmm. you an actor has to have that particular voice. It's like recognisable voice. It's sort of thing like, yeah. like Ian McKellen, for example. You know <laughs> when it's Ian McKellen. Uh, Morgan Freeman, you know when it's Morgan Freeman. Um, yeah. James Spader, kind of, you know when it's James Spader. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the one thing that I found, found was interesting about Ultron, or that drew me to his character, was that I was like, hmm, I recognize this voice, yeah, you know? exactly. I think the casting choices for Age of Ultron, on the most part, like I said, Quicksilver is, is a bit of a, a non-entity in the sense that he's never going to go forward. And Aaron Taylor-Johnson, he's had superhero previous. He was in Kick-Ass which isn't Marvel. I don't even know what that is. Oh, <laughs> uh, Kick-Ass is great fun, but it's a bit ruder. Um, lot of swear words. I'm just going to, um, um, <laughs> as we were speaking of Joss, uh, before we started recording, you mentioned the Bechdel test. Oh, yes, I wanted to talk about the Bechdel test. I completely forgot. And how oh. he failed it. <laughs> I, I just need to let the listeners know. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's just talk about our preparations for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Toddy, how many pages of notes do you have? <laughs> I have a for you scribbled lines on like a small, like not, not a full notebook, okay. uh, like a half a size notebook, and okay. I have a few scrabbled incoherent lines. <laughs> okay. So a few scribbled lines on one page. Let's yeah, and, and half of those ones are, oh my God, Mark Ruffalo is great as the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just count how many notes I have. <laughs> These are A4 pages. One, two, three, four, five, six full A4 pages of notes. I thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of the things that I did make a note of that I really wanted to talk about was the Bechdel test, because Avengers fails it miserably. Yeah, which well, is surprising. Which is surprising, because when we talk about Josh... He doesn't write purely from a feminist point of view, but people tend to view him as a feminist. You know, the characters that he creates. I mean, this film, it passes on one of the three tests in the Bechdel test. Because we have three named women. We have Natasha Romanoff, we have Pepper Potts, and we have Maria Hill. We've not really talked about Maria Hill, um, but to be fair, she doesn't really do that much. So we have our three named women, so that's quite cool. But none of those women talk to each other. So the rules are named women, they have to talk to each other, but not about men. So mm-hmm. the fact that they don't talk to each other, complete failure. But there's nothing to say that we couldn't have had those women talking to each other. Why couldn't yeah, like Natasha we said, we could have had, talk to each other? Like, why couldn't Maria Hill have said something to Natasha, you know? Exactly. Uh, there were aliens attacking. They were on the same helicarrier earlier on in the film. Why couldn't they have had a discussion about what was happening? Yeah, it's such a small uh, thing, you know. I just really wish, and I, to be honest, I don't know if there's any deleted scenes. I don't believe there is any deleted scenes between Natasha and Maria. But I really wish that they at least tried to have women talking to each other. Peppa is a separate anyway because she she's on a plane. She's out of there. So we know that she is gone. She has no opportunity to talk to either of them. But there's no excuse for Natasha and Maria not to speak. They're on the same blinking helicarrier for <laughs> however many hours. There's no excuse for that. So no. that is a big epic fail for me. I wish it passed the Bechdel test. And the interesting thing is, if we think about Phase 1 Marvel movies, Thor, the movie, actually passes the Bechdel test. 
because you've got Natalie Portman's character, Jane Foster, and you've got her intern, Darcy. Two named mm-hmm. women, they talk to each other about science and about the, the findings. They, they obviously have readings on their equipment. They talk about them. It's great. Iron Man 2 passes the Bechdel test. Mm. You have Pepper Potts, and you have Natasha Romanoff in that. She's playing playing like an alias called Natalie Rushmore, who's kind of like the PA. But they talk about stuff going on in Stark Industries. So it's not impossible to squeeze in. But this one doesn't, <laughs> and I don't know why. I didn't actually look to see if Age of Ultron passed the Bechdel test, to be honest. Um, I can quickly just scrolly, scrolly. Apparently Iron Man 3 passes. Thor the Dark World passes. Winter Soldier does not. That's disappointing. Guardians passes. Uh, oh, unfortunately, this article doesn't go up to Age of Ultron. That's mm. sad. I'll just do a quick Google search. Google is my friend. <laughs> Age of Ultron. Uh, apparently, it does pass. It says, in brackets, although dubious. Okay. Is it because Natasha and Hawkeye's wife talk about something? or? <laughs> um, it says it has six major speaking female characters. Black Widow, Scarlet Witch, Maria Hill, Helen Cho, Laura Barton, and Madame B. Madame B's the in the flashbacks for Black Widow. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yes, they talk together, yes. It says, however, the only interaction that might pass is the flashback discussion between Madame B and Natasha about her graduation. It's dubious on the grounds that Madame B is only named in the credits. Uh, well, okay, yeah. so she's not actually named in the film as Madame B. Um, oh, there are two of the conversations between women, between Natasha and Helen about Clint, and between Maria and Helen, although we only see them talking in the background and not their actual discussion. So, yeah, it's dubious whether that passes or not, but I don't know. Whether you want to take it that it passes or not, I suppose, is up to individual interpretation. Oh, apparently it says Natasha and Laura talk about the baby. Oh, okay. So maybe we can say it passes then. Well, to be fair, the baby is a boy at the end. Yeah. (laughs) But I suppose at that point they don't know and, yeah. I think think we'll take it that it passes because I don't want to... I don't want to be all like, oh, Joss, you're so naughty, you didn't pass the Bechdel <laughs> test. Do you know what? Out of all of my six pages of notes, <laughs> there's so much. There's so much that I haven't said. But to be <laughs> honest, I think we're kind of running out of time. Yeah. It, um, which is really sad. And originally, we did talk about doing two podcasts, um, mm-hmm. one on uh, Avengers and one on Age of Ultron. We kind of decided against that after... Uh, he really wasn't happy with Age of Ultron. But I, I did finish that, so we had to talk about it a little, because otherwise yeah. I could have just not finished that movie. No, but I kind of feel that if we'd done a second podcast about Age of Ultron, it would literally just be you ranting about how much, how offended you were about everything, and I'd just be in the corner. So, yeah, we, to be honest, we wanted to do something special because it's Christmas, because it's our six-month anniversary, we're not planning on talking about Avengers ever again. We know that Joss is never going to go back to it. We're only talking about it because it's one of his movies. Two of his movies. Oh, okay, two of his movies. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, we haven't really talked much about Age of Ultron anyway. Yeah, so we, we definitely won't be coming back to it. But it is nice we'll to uh, discuss time. this as well, to uh, do something a little bit different. Also, before we finish it, I'm just going to go, what is Jarvis? You've seen Iron Man, yeah? Yeah, okay. Glass Buildings, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so 
so, so let me go through the, the history of Jarvis. Is <laughs> and here I thought I asked an easy question just to round things out. <laughs> it's really, really simple. So you remember I mentioned earlier about Tony Stark's father, Howard? Yes. Who was the founding member of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's actually a really, really good Marvel spin-off show, Agent Carter, which is fantastic. If anyone's not seen Agent Carter, it's absolutely That one is still, like, set in the past, right? In, like, Captain America's um, real time. Yeah. So it's still set in the past. It's basically about Peggy Carter, who Mm -hmm. is his love interest in The First Avenger, but she's phenomenal. And, unfortunately, it was cancelled after two seasons, which is very depressing because it's so much better than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But a character, we, we, we basically get introduced to a character in that called Edwin Jarvis, who's essentially Howard Stark's butler. Um, oh, okay. Now, so, see, Stark is Batman. Now, because I was going to say <laughs> that, you know, he just doesn't have Jarvis instead of Albert, but clearly if Jarvis was originally a butler, he has an Albert. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. The Jarvis that you're talking about obviously isn't an elderly butler character. Backstory about Tony Stark in that Edwin Jarvis basically raised Tony Stark. Tony creates here a computer system, and he calls it Jarvis after Edwin Jarvis. But Jarvis actually stands for just a rather very intelligent system, which is a bit convoluted, but just go with it. Mm-hmm. So... Jarvis is obviously the interface that runs uh, Tony Stark's mansion, uh, runs Stark Tower, runs the suits. Jarvis yeah. does that. You know, you just saying that he named that after that Jarvis guy, I'm like, oh, so he's just basically a sad little rich boy who really misses his daddy figure. <laughs> his parents died when he was... Oh, who else's parents died? Oh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> okay, yes. <Yeah. So> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You... There's, there's too many similarities. I can't dispute it. Yeah, his parents die. He doesn't witness them die, though. They don't die in an alley by, like, a robber or anything. They die in a car crash. So, yeah. That's so totally are. different. <laughs> totally different. Jarvis, essentially, in Age of Ultron, he makes Ultron believe that he's killed Jarvis because Jarvis is the only thing that can attack Ultron. So Jarvis basically hides in a system and then ends up being downloaded into the body that Ultron wants for himself. And Jarvis basically becomes the Vision in Age of Ultron. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously the Vision's been mentioned before because the Vision has the Mind Stone from Loki's Scepter in his head. So that's where his power comes from. And interestingly, the man who plays Vision in Age of Ultron is also the guy who voices Jarvis in all all of the movies. A guy called Paul Bettany. He's yeah. quite a well-known English actor. Yeah, um, I, I actually know who that is. I really oh, like him. Oh, my gosh. That's, why, that's, why, I, that, that's why I like Jarvis, because I really like his voice, because I know who Bethany is. <laughs> so that, that's Jarvis. So Jarvis is no more, because obviously Jarvis is basically now Vision. Yeah. So moving forward, Tony Stark and if somebody is wants, AI, So if, if somebody wants their Infinity Stone, they have to kill him, right? Because it's in his forehead. Technically, yes, Mm -hmm. but that's obviously going to be, I presume, discussed in more detail in a future Avengers movie. There are two more Avengers movies, um, neither of which will involve Joss. I don't know whether he'll have any creative consultancy. He had creative consultancy on quite a few of the other films in the MCU up until Age of Ultron, but I presume his contract has expired and he is no more with them, uh, which is disappointing. 
the new Avengers movies, uh, Infinity War and as yet unnamed sequel to Infinity War, are coming out in 2018, I think is the first one. So we've got a couple of years, basically, to wait for that. But that will obviously explain everything kind of going forward, because we've had, we obviously have movies in between, we've had Doctor Strange, that's introduced something new as well, the power of magic into the universe, so it's really interesting where they're going to go. I'm, I am genuinely interested, I absolutely love the universe, I'm so excited about it, I'm so excited to talk about it, and I, I just wish we had more time, but we don't, because we're already running really, really long, and I'm sure people we are asleep by now, <laughs> and I'm just wishing that I would shut up, so I'm just going to shut up now, and, and um, I've got so many notes. I'm not going to be able to talk about them, so let's just let's just say it's a really awesome film, and uh, I love it. And um, I might never watch any one of them again. No, I don't feel that. I'm going to come out of your house and bring all my DVDs, <laughs> and we're going to start with Iron Man, and then I'm basically going to go through all of them, and we're just going to do a massive movie marathon. And at the end, you're going to be like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! I know so much. My my mind has been blown by this." And I'm going to go, "Yeah, I know. I told you." I will probably watch The Nitty Wars because my nephews love these, or one of my nephews loves these movies. Yeah. I, I saw the first Avengers because of him, so. Well, all I can say is your nephew has fantastic taste. <laughs> yeah, he also likes uh, that movie Mall Cop, so oh, okay. there you well, go. Oh, okay, nephew's just gone really <laughs> down in my estimation. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, thought, I thought your nephew was literally like the next big thing, and now I'm thinking maybe not. <laughs> But yeah, so I guess that is uh, everything on Avengers. Yeah, and Avengers okay, Assemble! <laughs> assemble! We should have said that at the start. Yeah, we, we should. We should have gone like Athena Assemble and talking Assemble. We've ruined that. Uh, yeah, no, I don't want to assemble. I want to be with Loki. No, I wouldn't. Whatever he's doing, I'm I'm gonna go with Loki. Okay. Excuse me. <laughs> Who has got Loki in the Sig Banner and has since literally, like, day one? Me. He is I guess mine, we dear just, friend. You do not go there. I guess we just both have to be his groupies. <laughs> Don't steal my man. How dare you? <laughs> have you got any other questions? Any of burning questions that you need to ask now? Because otherwise, you're never going to be able to ask me ever again. <laughs> and um, no. I don't think I do. Okay. Well, I'm really happy that I actually got to talk about this film, and I'm really happy that Taki actually agreed to do it, because she was really, like, not sure about this, and <laughs> she's really only done it as, like, a Christmas favour to me, and it's, it's been like when you get, like, a really big birthday present, and the person who buys it says, right, that's it, no more birthday presents for, like, the next 10 years. <laughs> that's basically the agreement that we've made, that every single podcast from now on has to be, like, it's going to be her choice. So basically, if it sucks, it's her fault. So, yeah, just holding my hands up there. I like how you're washing your hands of future <laughs> failures. Yeah. I know. Even though we agreed together, I put it all on your shoulders now. <laughs> Very smooth. Yeah, I know. I'm proud of myself. Right. Um, we we better kind of call this a day, and I hope that people are still listening, and a normal Buffy first service will be resumed as of January. But, um but yeah, so have a great Christmas and uh, a wonderful New Happy Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, and yeah, I've been Athena and loving the Avengers still, even though eh, bits, but yeah, I still love it. <laughs> and I have been Team Loki and Jarvis. Oh, God, I knew that you would get into the Team Loki stuff. Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> you are not having the last word on this. You, you can have it. You can have Captain America, who you <laughs> love so much. Well, I'll 
take Captain America, Bruce Banner, and Thor, and Black Widow, You're and Hawkeye, welcome. and Nick Fury. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with Loki and Jarvis, so... <laughs> <laughs> We better leave it there, because <laughs> otherwise we would just be bickering. <laughs> for ages. Uh, Bye. Bye. All right. Hey. All right. Good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. <laughs>